Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. Again, before we get into it today, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to my YouTube channel that you can find by searching my name, Felix Levine, on YouTube. There you'll have every episode in its full video version, as well as smaller clips and highlights from those episodes. And check out my website, felix-levine.com. There you'll have everything about myself and the show, every podcast and its video and audio formats, photos from every recording and contact information if you want to get in touch with me. And also make sure you follow me on Instagram at felix.levine and rate and review the show five stars on Apple's podcast app if you are listening to this right now, which you are. My next guest. She is a sideline reporter for the UFC, and I have no doubt she'll be making a commentary debut soon. Please welcome the phenomenally talented Laura Senko. And we're live. Laura, thank you. Uh, truly, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. I know you're, you're busy, but I'm, uh, I'm really excited to have you on. I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of yours, UFC, obviously. Um, so thank you for, for taking the time. No, thank you. Uh, I know we were supposed to do this ages ago. And then, like many things, screw COVID, messed it all up. But uh, we're here now, so I'm excited. Well, it's funny you say that because this sounds like to, to MMA fans. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a quick rundown of of how it should have happened or how I hoped in my head it was gonna happen. I yeah. think I had reached out to you before UFC 249, which originally was supposed to be Khabib versus Tony, which is a foreign <laughs> thought to all of us, and it was supposed to take place <laughs> here at Barclays Center in Brooklyn. I had tickets that week. I had lined up a host of uh, amazing people from the UFC community, including yourself. I think it was like Megan O'Leary, Hunter Campbell. I was trying to get John back in here. So all of that fell through. But um, I'm happy to have you here and, and maybe one day, hopefully in studio. But thank you. Uh, well, here, here we are. Here we are. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be hitting up that studio one day. I'm, I'm, I'm of the belief that this year we're going to, by the end of the year, we're going to see a lot more normalcy in the world. I'm, I'm willing that into the universe. I love it. Me too. Um, I told you a few seconds ago, is there a tidbit, a story, a little something that the world doesn't know about Laura Fancy Senko? I wanted to, I wanted to like come up with some really great inspirational anecdote, uh, cause I find your podcast to be very, uh, inspiration based and I love that. Um, but, uh, I struggled to find that. Uh, and so literally all I landed on is I can turn both of my feet completely backwards. Really? <laughs> Which is so gross and not at all inspiring. (laughs) Did you ever did like like kind of like the dancers do? Um, or like completely backwards. Just imagine like as long as there's stuff. It's hard for me to do on a slippery floor, like on a wet floor if I have socks on. But if I have shoes on, like I can stand there and like turn my feet completely backwards. It's gross. It's really gross. But it also means I cannot be uh, heel hooked, at least in that (laughs) direction. Oh. I guess don't tell don't tell the people I compete against. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to take you back uh, a little bit. Um, if I told a 15 year old Laura Sanko she'd be uh, one of the top dogs here in the UFC, what would what would she have told me? Uh, she would have said, "What is UFC?" <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I think I had very different aspirations at that age. Um, if you'd have hit me a little bit older, I think I, I would have said, yeah, that's what I'm gunning for and that's what I'm envisioning and I'm going to make that happen. But at 15, I was um, I was on my way to getting my black belt, but I hadn't really discovered MMA yet. I didn't hit I didn't find MMA till like right when I was in college. Um, so, yeah, I was a piano performance uh guru at that point I got a that's I got a full ride scholarship in piano performance so I was piano and karate and that was my whole life what did you hope maybe when you were younger that that life would be when you know mid 30s 40s that's such an interesting question I don't often it's an interesting exercise to think okay at that age what did I want my life to be what did I think my life would be um I think, you know, I grew up in a really uh, conservative Christian household. So a lot of my growing up um, kind of centered around like family. What is your family going to be? You know, I'm sure I thought I 
would be married, which I am. Um, I'm sure I thought I'd have a ton of kids, which I don't. I just have one son. Um, and I, I don't think I thought I would have a career, interestingly enough. I think um, my mind was more in the mode of what was modeled to me, which was a stay-at-home mom. And while I love uh, I love that role for myself, because I'm kind of able to play both roles, right, with the job that I have. I'm in career mode when I'm traveling and then when I'm home, for the most part, am able to be essentially a stay-at-home mom. So I kind of have figured out a way to make uh, both of them work simultaneously. Well, I think what also is in, uh, you know, something that over the past couple of days, I've, I've listened to a lot of your appearances on different shows. And uh, in listening to you, you strike me as someone that's incredibly uh, motivated, dedicated, um, kind of like go-getter mentality. And I'm curious is, is if that's something that was, you know, I mean, you talk about your, your Christian conservative background, were you always like this? I mean, I feel like sometimes in those Christian conservative yeah. backgrounds, I know I have friends that, that grew up like that, that, you know, it's a little bit dissuaded to be kind of go-getter, especially if you're a woman. And, yeah. you know, so I don't know. I wouldn't say that my parents actively dissuaded it, but it was sort of, um, and they won't ever hear this, so I'm not saying it. <laughs> uh, I will say it was subconsciously done. And I think I only realized that within the last uh, five or six years. So, for instance, I was... I was a major nerd, not in the sense of like, um, I didn't know how to socialize well, like I had a good social life, but I was really, really academically minded. And um, I took, uh, I don't know how it is where you're on the East Coast, but in the in the Midwest, ACTs are way more important than uh, SATs. So I took the ACT when I was in um, ninth grade and got a 34. Jesus. And yeah, and, but this, and then the point I'm getting to is like, um, I got a 36 in science and like, like it was, it was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I surprised in even ninth myself. grade. Yes. And that's my impressive. parents, my parents were like excited and happy, but there was no talk of like, oh my gosh, we need to reach, we need to see if she can go to MIT or like, you know, Stanford or Harvard or none of that, none of that. Like they, it was always talked about in my family that I would go to college, but it was never like, oh, you're going to college because you're so smart and you're going to like become some amazing scientist and change the world. It was like, oh, cool. You're smart. That's great. But you're also going to be a good mom. <laughs> you know? Now, how do you I break, don't know. How do you break I don't out of that mold? Even um, well, I kind of didn't, to be honest with you. Um, in that one regard, I didn't. So I did end up going to a local liberal arts college on a music scholarship. I never should have done that. Like if I had had someone who had looked at that and said, wow, your brain is geared towards science. And even to this day, like science light, lights me up. Um, but I, so I never really had someone doing that. So I just sort of like went with my other passion, which was music. And then I realized in college that like, I don't love practicing for six hours a day and living in a, in a practice room. And I've got really small hands and like, this is not actually my passion. I just like expressing myself. Um, so all of that to say, like it, it took quite a bit of a roundabout turn. And it wasn't until I guess after I graduated and I started putting my mind to work in the business world. So I was in um, early stage startup finance when I first graduated out of college and got involved in a startup company and lived in New York City and did that whole thing. Um, and then just, I, I, to be honest with you, where I am now is such a, a, a amazing, awesome accident. <laughs> it really is. I wish I could tell you I planned this all out and that would be really inspiring, but um, it's just through a bunch of fortuitous accidents, but also being ready and, and knowing in those moments what I wanted and, and being prepared for the small steps each time a door opened, I guess. Well, I think also, you know, it's, uh, you know, of course, accidents, I guess, but also through hard work and and I guess posi positioning yourself in the right way. And I think uh, a lot of people, it seems, and um, also in doing in doing prep for this, um, you know, the higher ups of the UFC also notice your hard work and, and kind of the development and to think that, so you came in the UFC in 2016, I believe that's correct. Yes. Yes. I think so. That sounds right. Yeah. Four years later. I mean, I just, I don't know if you've seen this article, um, by the sun, it says something along the lines. I think this was from October, uh, where I think Dana, I, I hope it's accurate, uh, had said that he wouldn't be surprised to see you as a commentator one day. Um, yeah, you know, I, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go no, ahead. I don't know. I don't know what, you know, j but I think as a, as a fan, as, as someone that um, watches you in the UFC and, and admires your work, 
I yeah. think that's uh it's pretty remarkable, you know, from what you're talking about growing up in that uh in the life that you did to to be where you are today. Yeah, you know, and I think um there were seeds, you know, all along the way, there were seeds that that I fostered growing up that did allow for this to happen. So like even though um like I said my my science mind or whatever was not necessarily fostered, um I was constantly finding ways to compete and break outside the mold that would be considered standard for me. So like um, I, I was always attracted to guy type things. I had an older brother and like I hung out with him and his friends probably more than I did my own friends. And so, man, whether it was playing like electric guitar or like uh, rock climbing in college or um, I don't know, whatever it was, like I was always wanting to do stuff that was not standard for girls and uh, that people didn't expect from me. And then, so then the karate turned into the MMA and MMA was uh, probably the biggest blossoming moment, I guess you could say in terms of like really finding what fed my personality and what fed my, what fed my passion because the competition at the time was not, it, I never got into MMA because I thought I could become famous or I thought I could make some career about it because at that time when I was first getting into it, there were no women in the UFC. There was no path to stardom or riches. Uh, and I did it just because I loved the challenge of forcing myself to do something that scared me so much. Um, so that very much dovetailed into um, where I find myself today. And I appreciate you saying that, you know, I think, um, it is neat to see the amount that I've been able to carve out for myself, I guess, within the UFC world. And I, 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 I try to do a better job of appreciating um, what I have been able to accomplish thus far because I'm a very impatient and driven person. And so often all I can see is where I want to be. And like, I get frustrated with where I am and, and I don't appreciate where I've been because all I can see is where I want to be. And it, it see it, it seems far away a lot of times um and i think uh i don't know i just i'm i'm learning through conversations like this and through reading i do uh just to be more appreciative of the small steps along the way and what's your the reaction from from your family been like um on this you know i guess first when you made your introduction to mma actually as a you know competitor or participant or whatever you want to call it i mean later yeah. a competitor of course um and then now you know uh working for the ufc well, if you talk about my parents, I mean, they didn't and still don't understand it at all. They're, they've always been like, uh, I don't know, begrudgingly supportive, I guess, I guess you might say. Like, they don't, especially when I first started, they completely disapproved it. But I was already out of the house. Like, they had no choice. It was like, cool, mom and dad, I'm doing this. You could be interested or not, but I'm doing it regardless. You know, I was in my 20s, so it kind of didn't matter, but yeah, they really did not approve. They never went to any of my fights, uh, but they would ask, you know, after the fight, how, how did you do? Uh, still to this day, they don't watch a lot of <laughs> UFC broadcasts, but after the fact, they always like me to, you know, have them over to my house and they, they want me to show the different times I'm on television. So like they care, they just, they don't get it. You know, they don't have that um, competition to them was never a big value. So I really don't even know how it came to be such a core part of my personality. Where, I mean, where do you think that that competition stemmed from? Is it because they had, they lacked that competition or they didn't really, that wasn't down their alley? I think, you know, I, I always, I had a really close relationship with my older brother. Like he was the person that I wanted to impress all the time. He was the person whose attention I craved all the time. He's four years older than I am. And then also, you know, as a surplus of that, I wanted the attention and praise of like his, his group of people, his friends. So I always had this like chip on my shoulder where I was constantly trying to prove myself, prove that I could do it. Like if they would jump off a cliff into a lake, yeah, I'm going to jump off the cliff too. You know, like that was just kind of, I think it came from that, from a young, young age, whether it's like I'm five years old and I just got my training rules off and these guys are taken off down this really steep hill and I got either join them or get left in the dust. And I'm just like, fuck it. I get, well, I probably didn't say fuck it. Cause I was five, but, um, 
I hope I, I hope so. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, that's that's what I mean. Like it was always sort of like a, I'm I'm just gonna make it happen. I'm just gonna do it because I want to prove that I can and that I can keep up and be equal to uh, these guys. And so I think that's a, a something that was instilled in me at a really young age. Do I still didn't myself. I think. Do you think if you didn't have the upbringing that you did, that you would be in the position you're in today? No, I think it's impossible to imagine a life that's different than what it is, right? Like I've got this mug right here. Oh, it's, I got to turn around. It just, hey. it is what it is. <laughs> and I mean, and I mean that in like a positive way, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled with, uh, I'm thrilled with where I am. And while I would, I have lots and lots of goals and lots of things I still want to achieve. I'm still really happy with the way that my life is situated. Um, and I really can honestly say that I don't regret doing things the way they did. I, it's interesting to ponder like, okay, well, what if I had ended up going to some prestigious college? I'm sure that my life would have taken a very different direction, but I didn't and I'm here and I'm happy. So. And so there's one thing, um, again, in listening to you, I listened to your full episode with Brendan Fitzgerald the other day on, oh, on his wow. podcast. I had Brendan on actually last week. Um, and he's a, he's a fantastic guy. Um, yeah. And it's that, and I texted him actually yesterday after I listened to it because I thought it was so good. First of all, I, I love your guys' dynamic. I think that's a, that's a fun one, but it's also, um, you opened up a lot about a lot of different things in there um, that I think are really important for men and women out there to, to hear um, with regards to just, I guess, how sports in general can be therapeutic in a sense. Um, for you, it was MMA. Yeah. And I think, uh, if you don't mind, I mean, I know you've, you've told the story a couple mm -hmm. different times, but uh, just how, how MMA, I mean, you said, uh, and I, I don't want to misquote you, but something in the realm of how MMA saved you basically three different times. Yeah. Um, and I think one of those, I mean, I'll let you maybe dive into to a couple of those or whichever you're comfortable with. Um, but I think for the people out there to, to, to hear about you in a different sense, because we see you on under the UFC, but there's so much more to you than, than just what we see uh, on ESPN. So if you don't mind just explaining a little bit how, you know, what it means uh, when you say MMA saved me. Yeah, you know, I, I have a tendency to be, um, I do have a tendency to be an anxious person, a worrisome person, um, and maybe even prone to, uh, I would say prone to seasons of depression. I don't, I've never really been someone who's been stuck in like years and years. Um, and I really, I'm sensitive to the people who, who deal with depression on an ongoing basis. It would be a weight that I can't even imagine, but having gone through it for seasons, um, it's such a, it's such a, a quicksand. Like it's so hard to fight your way out of it. You almost can't, I guess. And so the one thing that I found that really allowed me to just create space in my brain and have even a couple of hours where I wasn't fixating and worrying and trying to fix my own problems uh, in my head was MMA. And what happened was I was, again, you know, that the, the upbringing that I told you about and how really it was never explicitly stated, but it was sort of uh, inferred that my goal was to go to college and find a nice guy and get married and make a family, right? That's what you do. And um, I thought I was doing that and I got married way too young, way too young. I was 24, 23. I can't remember, honestly. Um, very short lived, six months long, terrible, horrible, giant dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> and I felt like such a massive failure because I had up until that point been you know, perfect grades, salutatorian, homecoming queen, like all of these things, just perfect, perfect, perfect. And then in my world, in the Christian world, you know, marriage is the one thing that you don't fuck up. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and then here I did and, and went and just completely right into the ground. Um, so it was really alarming to me that like I was making this, what felt like just this massive uh, life mistake and my life was over and yada, yada, yada. So I, I knew that karate had been really good for me in high school. And I thought, okay, I need to find a martial art. I need to find something to pour myself into that's physical, but it can't be something where I can think about something else at the same time. Like it can't be running. Cause that's just more thinking. It can't be lifting weights. It's just more time to be alone in my head. And I tell you what, man, when you're, when you're doing jujitsu or you're striking, 
um, not only do you get the release of like the exercise endorphins and you feel good because you're exercising uh, and you're hitting something, but you literally can't think about anything else. And so that hour or hour and a half passes and all of a sudden like you're done and you think, man, I still like nothing has changed in my life in this last hour and a half, but I just feel 10% better. And every day I would feel five or 10% better. And um, over time, it just, it saved me. And again, later on in life, when I lived in New York and went through another tough season in my personal life, um, the exact same thing. It was the only social interaction I had when I lived in New York City because I didn't know anybody. And I was so lonely and lost and like didn't know what to do with myself in that city. Um, so it was the only place where I had friends. And again, it was just this ability to go there and forget kind of the troubles in my head and my heart and come away refreshed. So it's, it's a sport unlike any other. It's amazing. And I think that, you know, for people, whether it's MMA or, or other sports, um, I think a lot of those same emotions or feelings uh, come from that. And I think I, I personally love that story. When, when I first heard it, um, I thought it was amazing, but there's also one thing I wanted to ask you with regards to, um, you know, getting married at a, at a young age and uh, it not working out the way, mm -hmm. you know, the way it did. What's your advice for perhaps other, um, you know, young men and women who also grew up in young Christian conservative families and that was always kind of the goal um, where it didn't work out and they got married young and they perhaps made, if you if you want to call it a mistake or not, um, you know, and it didn't work out and they felt that kind of shame. What what is something that you wish maybe you had told yourself in that in that time? Yeah, I just my 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 faith has really morphed into something that and I'll be honest, there, there's probably a lot of people I grew up with that would uh, maybe not approve of the version of Christianity that I subscribe to at this point, but I'm OK with that. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, Christianity, God, you know, the the universe, like life source, whatever you want to call it, um, is not about feeling it's not it's not about inflicting shame or guilt like i the, the problem i have with organized religion a lot of times is the emphasis on feeling bad when you've made mistakes um and if you go through you know the new testament like jesus is not his focus is not about making people feel bad like it's just not it's just not there so um i think my advice to them would be to just move on i mean it's as simple as that like you it's unfortunate. It's it's not the the perfect way we would have had things play out for ourselves, but it doesn't change, you know, your value as a human being. And it doesn't change your value as a Christian or your ability to be a good husband or wife um, moving forward. It doesn't, nothing changes that. It's a, it's a mistake. And even then I, I wouldn't even call it a mistake. I'm glad I did what I did. I am. Cause I, I will try very hard to convince my son not to even consider putting a ring on some girl's finger until he's 30. <laughs> I don't think anybody should get married until they're 30. That's my new, that's my, that's my personal belief. What, what's that been like in terms of, uh, you know, raising your son and, you know, based off of your experience growing up and now being a mother, um, how have those experiences kind of molded the, the mother that you now are? Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, we don't go to church. I don't know that that's something I should necessarily be proud of. We just, <laughs> but we don't. Um, I've never really, we just haven't found one that we like. And my husband wasn't raised that way. And so our approach to talking about God is interesting because he does go to a Christian school. And so, um, and I, I wanted him to go to a school that would impart good, solid values and would, would place him in a, in a, come from homes where those values are important. Um, that being said, I'm much more, even at this age, even though he's only seven, a lot of times he'll ask me a question and I'll give him the standard Christian answer. But then I will also say, but you know what? Um, like we've got some friends who are Jewish and their, their son's name is true. You know, I said, but you know what? True probably doesn't think that because he was raised, you know, in a different faith and they would probably see it this way. Or, you know, I Muslim friends of mine, you know, they would see it this way. I try to uh, make it a little bit more well-rounded in terms of understanding that not everyone thinks like we do and that's okay. I love it. And so 
my other question with regards to um to to motherhood is some another another moment that you talked about um an, another time that uh, MMA saved you in a sense and I think it was right after you were you became a mother um yeah. and I think that that was when I heard that story I thought it was a beautiful story um just because uh you know I obviously I have a mother uh, I will never be a mother but um I can imagine that a lot of women have gone through a lot of similar feelings and uh and so I just wanted to to hear that story and for for the people that aren't familiar with that story if you don't mind just resharing sure. it quickly cuz I think it's a it's really a a great one. Yeah, you know, I think um I would never call my son an accident. He's the best thing that's ever happened and I was planning on having kids uh one day and I was married. So like all of the the things that you would like to be in place were certainly in place. But that being said, um he was a bit of a surprise in that I was uh training for my next fight and so when I, when I got pregnant, it was like, oh, wow. You know, I had imagined my life, you know, I, I had won my pro debut, got the second round submission. Like I had had a great amateur career at that point. I think I ended up well, like seven and one overall. So like, I'm, I, I'm starting to feel like, okay, I'm pretty good at this. Like I can, I can do this sport. Um, things are happening in the MMA that make it exciting. Women are in the UFC now. Like I start to envision this path and then <laughs> I'm pregnant. And I thought, man, um, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to do this? And I, I knew I wanted to be a mom though. So I just sort of pivoted and I always imagined I would come back to fighting. And when I realized how much that this little person needed me, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, every day, all the time, uh, literally needed me at first, you know, and then less literally moving on. Uh, it just, it became, it was really tough. It was really, really tough. Um, I think part of it was just biological and chemical postpartum depression, but a big part of it was a completely, my identity got like snatched away from me when I was not expecting it. You know, I identified as an athlete, as an MMA fighter, as someone who potentially had the ability to go to the UFC and do big things. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, dripping milk and fucking wearing my <laughs> house coat and like my kids screaming and I just want to go to Target in peace, you know? And like, just, it was, I just had a really hard time wrapping my mind around is this my life, you know? And then uh, again, it was like getting back in the gym and finding the resources to help watch my son and take care of my son. So I could have even, you know, at first it was just like three hours a week where I could get back in the gym and feel like an athlete again, feel like um, I could exercise that competitive side of myself again. So yeah, it's, you know, and obviously I never returned to fighting competitively, but I haven't left the gym for a long period since. And that's a long time ago. So I still love, uh, I love training very, very much. And I'm in the gym all the time. Were there ever, do you ever have any, um, I guess, quote unquote, uh, regrets about also, I mean, you came up in a time and in a weight class that was so scarce. I mean, you talk yeah. about, you know, I think going through different chats to just find, try to find opponents. Um, you know, you came up, uh, in a time where, you know, women's MMA, I mean, women's MMA only really got big not so long ago. Um, and yeah. now, you know, it's beautiful when you see, uh, women headlining, uh, I believe pay-per-views. We've had a, a bunch mm -hmm. of different ones. For um, sure. but what was that like for you to, to know that, uh, okay, you know, I'm a mother, I'm pro the pro professional career might not happen the way I, I imagined it, but you know, here I am. Like what's, what's going on through your head at, at that point in time? There, there are definitely moments where I I get that pang of like, I wouldn't say it's regret, but just maybe a little bit bittersweet. So um, Paige Van Zandt and I debuted on the same card the same night. And um, it there are times where I, I see her career and, you know, the, the success that she's had both in the octagon and obviously even more so success outside of the octagon. And I think, man, I wonder if that could have been me, you know, but by the same token, the UFC still doesn't have an atom weight class and I'm not, uh, I'm not framed right to compete with straw weights. Um, so it's like part of me wistfully wonders, but part of me feels 
like I, I like I am where I'm meant to be. Um, the only thing I guess that's frustrating is like with the goals I have now to do commentary and to do more analysis, it's tough because I don't have 10 pro fights to, hey, look at my experience, you know. It's really difficult to have that instant credibility without that resume. And um, I hope, I've, I think I've been able to do it in this other avenue in some ways, but I know that more is necessary. So really that's my goal right now is to find avenues where I can exercise my analytical legs and kind of let people know that I do know what I'm talking about and I can analyze on the fly. And like, I really do understand the fight game, even though I wasn't able to participate in the UFC um, ever. <laughs> and I wasn't able to participate professionally for a long time. That just wasn't an option in my weight class and, and given what was going on in my life. But uh, I feel like over time I've been able to, through a variety of circumstances, gain the understanding from a lot of fighters, a lot of coaches at this point, if you were to ask, you know, a bunch of them, you know, does Laura know what she's like? Yeah, she knows what she knows what she's talking about. So I think that uh, I think it's just a matter of time and I just I have to be patient. I have to do the work more importantly. When you say that that instant credibility, I mean, do you feel like you want to to validate your own credibility or it's the the other people on the outside looking in um, the fear of them not thinking that you're you're credible in that sense? Uh, it's both. It's both. Um, I. I'm confident in my in my skills and in my um, ability to do the things I need to do to be successful, whether it's as a desk analyst or ultimately as a commentator. It's more, um, and I understand this. So there's there's hesitation within the UFC, uh, understandably, as to you know you can't in their mind it's difficult to put me and next to you know Dominic Cruz and be like hey have a discussion. Maybe you guys will disagree. Right. Um, I can understand why on paper they would be resistant to that idea, but I point to a lot of really great examples in other sports where you have women in particular, that's the lens I'm looking at this through who either didn't play the sport at all or played it in a different version. In other words, like you've got women calling uh, major league baseball games who had a great co collegiate softball career. They know the sport they have grown to understand the nuances of not just softball, but baseball, and they do a great job calling games. There's a lot, there are a lot of women who played uh, collegiate basketball who work at the NBA level. A lot of them I know started out as sideline reporters and worked their way up to call games. So that's, that's the track I'd like to be on. That is the track I think would we would be successful in the UFC. It's kind of one of those situations where like, if the UFC puts their stamp on you and if the people around me put their stamp on me um then other people will come to accept it but i've been pleasantly surprised by the number of fans and 99 times out of 100 their guys uh reach out to me and say hey like i really i hope you can do it i can't wait to hear you call a fight one day i hope that they make this happen like i'm all here for it now i know that there would be a lot who would be like completely against it but um i think it's I think it's something that needs to happen eventually. Do you feel like, um, you know, there there was one? Is, do you feel like there was a a moment, um, or maybe you haven't felt that yet? I don't know. Uh, that you made it. That this is, you know, and I think that what I notice in a lot of uh, successful people is that they never really feel like they quote unquote made it. And you yeah. you probably strike me as someone who um, I hope you know is satisfied to an extent, but you'll never you know. A lot of the a lot of the top dogs always always want a little bit more. Um, is there how how do you gauge that? Yeah, I definitely would, don't feel like I've made it by any chance or any stretch of the imagination because my my goals are so far beyond where I am currently. Um, but that being said, there's been some cool there's been some cool moments that I've I've looked back on like. Um, when I was working for Invicta, Dana came to one of the fights and I didn't even know he was coming. It was like this last minute thing because it was a time where Chris Cyborg was still fighting for Invicta, but the UFC was helping uh, support her career in Invicta to help build her up. So Dana was interested in coming. Uh, the Fertitta brothers were there as well. And I didn't even know at the time, like how big of a deal that was. I mean, I knew it was a big deal, but 
looking back, I didn't know how big of a deal that was. And my producer told me, he's like, hey, Dana's coming tonight. Um, you should interview him. And this was like, the card has already started. Like the fights are already unway, underway. I'm already in the midst of doing post-fight interviews. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Uh, yes, that would be amazing. Long story endless. Uh, they try to send me to go find him in between fights and the cameraman's supposed to meet me there and have this interview. I find him, the cameraman is nowhere to be seen for a long, and I don't have talk back on my mic. I have no way to communicate with uh, the truck and we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And now I know like you do not make Dana wait. You just don't. It's rude. He's got too much shit to do. He's a nice guy, but like that is the biggest no, no in the UFC world. You do not make Dana wait. I made that poor man wait at least eight minutes, which is an eternity. Wow. When you're just That's like, a long time. Oh, how are you? You know, um, but he was so gracious about it and gracious to all the fans that were coming up to him. And after that interview, I, I said to him, I said, I, I want to work for you one day. Um, I want to work in the, I want to work in the UFC and I want to be, you know, part of the UFC broadcast. So you said that to him. I said it right to him. And what's crazy is like, I really hadn't hadn't planned on saying it. I didn't have like this big, oh, I'm gonna beat Dana and then this is gonna happen. And then I'm gonna say this, like it what just- came, What came about? In that, I don't, this is gonna sound so cheesy, but like in that interview, I, I did, I was like, I belong here. Like I should be, I belong talking to this man. And I know I can do this and I know I can do more of it. And I know I can do it at a higher level than I currently am. And so I just said it. And it was kind of brazen of me to say, um, especially considering, I think that was like only my fifth Invicta show. Like I just started talking on television. I didn't go wow. to school for this, right? right. Um, and then, you know, nothing happened for a while. Nothing. Well, what was his re reaction when you said that? He was really kind about it. He's, he's like, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how he phrased it. He said, it was a little bit of like a pat answer, you know, he's like, well, you know, just, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. We'll keep, we'll keep an eye on you or something like that. You know, he was nice about it, but it wasn't like a, yes, I see star potential <laughs> in you. Come work for me tomorrow. It was not that, you know, at all, but he was super nice about it. And I remember the next time that I interviewed him as a UFC employee, uh, it was when they opened the ape. No, it was when they opened the PI. I was like part of their, opening ceremony thing and they were putting together like a corporate video and so i interviewed him and afterwards i said i was like do you remember me and he said yeah i do i said do you remember what i said to you he said yeah i remember what you wow. said he said welcome to the team and i was like ah <laughs> that's cool. a beautiful moment yeah it was cool and now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in u.s wellness meats u.s wellness meats has over 400 all natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood. They specialize in every single diet under the sun and have hundreds of paleo, keto, Whole30, sugar-free, and AIP-friendly options. All of their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles, so you will never have any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. They ship anywhere in the country for only $9.50 for shipping and handling, and most orders are delivered within 24 to 48 hours of leaving their facilities. Go to uswellnessmeats.com today and when you use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you'll receive 15% off store-wide savings. Again, go to uswellnessmeats.com, use that promo code PODCAST, and you'll get 15% off of every single order. Go check it out today. Now let's get back into it. What was the call like when you when you got the call that you were going to work for the UFC now? Awesome. Um, That was man, that was quite a process in and of itself. I, I got the call to come try out. First of all, the way I even figured out how to contact them was, was, was crazy. And I told that story on, well, I, I I'm going to spoil it really quickly. Yeah. Um, it's too long of a story. <laughs> it, let's just put it this way. You, uh, you had a contact that before our president, um, 
uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. it how do we even say this? I basically Michael Cohen, um, the former attorney for the for the president, yeah. uh, who I think when this episode will come out will not be president anymore. Um, yeah. He, I guess you you guys knew each other. Um, I knew him from New York, it, not politically affiliated whatsoever. Right. Just it, knew him. You guys were just friends. I mean, this was also so yeah. so long ago, and I and I I'll just summarize quickly that story. Um, basically, you guys I think kept in touch, and I think you made mention of of your aspirations of uh, you know perhaps working in the UFC one day. And I think he made a couple calls, and um, some <laughs> some weirdly enough, uh, here we are. Yes, weirdly enough, here we are. And it wasn't. I still had to audition. The audition right. was so stressful. It was it was ridiculously stressful. Um, and because I was auditioning as an anchor, which um, I had never, I had barely spoken to one camera holding one mic, let alone dealing with a boom mic. And, and a, I'd never read from a teleprompter. I had never had analysts to address. Like the, I had no experience in that whatsoever. Those nerves must've been off the chart. It was, it was awful. It was so, it was so nerve wracking. And you feel like this is my only shot. Like this is, this is make or break. Like I either do well and maybe this happens or I don't. And I go home and I cry and they threw me some curveballs in the audition that I, I don't know how well I did with those. Um, some of them I did well with some of them, not so much. And on my way home, I thought it felt like the biggest walk of shame ever because they don't like, you don't finish the audition and they don't immediately go, oh my gosh, you were great. And we're going to offer you a job next week. <laughs> They're just like, okay, thanks for coming out. Uh, your, your, your car's outside and um, yeah, good, straight, safe travels. And so I remember walking through the LA airport cause it was at Fox studios and just like crying. <laughs> I was like, that was so bad. I was so, so frustrated. I was so disappointed in myself. And this is actually a story I've never told. Okay. Um, this is so crazy. I was crying. I was really upset. And <laughs> this, I can't believe I've never told this story before. I'm this excited. Is so, this is so random. So this guy comes up to me and he was, uh, he was a Hasidic Jew. Like he had, okay. you know, the, right. I don't know the proper term, but the, the curls, the curls, the hat, like he was clearly. And he said, uh, he said, you look like you're having a really rough day. Would you like to go to the American Airlines lounge with me? And <laughs> I was like, I think I was just like, sure. <laughs> and But in my head, in my head, I'm like, what is happening right now? Like, Wait, you've passed security. So, yes. And you're just like, you're, you're both. had been in line in front of me in security. Okay. And I think it like. <laughs> you're, oh, you're still crying in the line. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The okay, okay, okay. Full time. Um, and so it was like, after, as we were both leaving security, he just kind of like looked over. He's like, you look like you're having a really rough day. Would you like to go? It was either Delta or American. I can't remember or United. I don't know. Uh, to the lounge with me. And I don't have like, I don't have a first class ticket. So I was like, sure. <laughs> and, uh, and then in my head, I'm like, what are you doing? You don't know this man. Like he could just be dressed like that. That to you know confuse you and he's gonna try to kidnap you like what are you doing you know um but i did i went to we'll just call it the united lounge with this guy and it turns out that he was and again i'm not gonna remember the proper term but there's a term in that community for a someone who is um a settler of disputes but also like huh. a licensed psychologist huh interesting I'm going to have to Google the term now because it's going to drive me crazy. So it turns out like he's, he's a psychologist okay. within the Hasidic uh, community. And his job is to like, you know, counsel people, marital counsel, um, settle disputes within the community. And so he just sat there and like, it was the funniest thing. He's like, get a drink. And I was like, I'm sure you don't drink. He's like, no, I don't, but you get a drink. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I'm like sipping this champagne and he just starts like dissecting. He's like, so what's going on? And I told him and we ended up having like this two hour conversation about uh, my life and my goals. And like, you know, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you his name now. And like, I've, I haven't heard from him since never talked to him again, but it was like, it was like a life changing. Uh, it was like a life changing discussion where he basically told me not to give up and that good things were going to happen. <laughs> 
That sounds like an absolute movie. I hope you, uh, I hope you, you have people that could perhaps turn that into something one day. Because that's it sounds fake, but I swear to God, this happened. It was the weirdest, coolest thing. And then, did you feel better once you got on the plane? Yeah, I did. I did. I literally, I'm telling you, it was, it was 180 degrees. Wow. Like he just, it, it was. I don't really believe in like angels or anything like that, but it was definitely whether you believe in the law of attraction or angel, whatever it was, it was a, it was a spiritual moment. We'll call it right. that. It was a spiritual moment where this person I had no reason to have an interaction with under normal circumstances, sought me out, sat me down, got me a drink of champagne and then proceeded to just um, like dive into my heart and brain and like pull out the tangles and like lay it out before me in a way that helped me move forward and see what had just happened as a positive thing. And then um, like three weeks later, they called, they're like, hey, you wanna be a UFC reporter? <laughs> well, even just before that, I think that's also just like a beautiful story of I think America at its finest, a, a Christian girl, Christian conservative yeah. girl from the Midwest getting sat down by a Hasidic psychologist, we'll call him that. Um, in the, the United Club. I mean, how it doesn't get more beautiful than that. It doesn't. It really doesn't. So then you get the call three weeks later, and what's yeah. going through you? I mean, at that point, you thought you were there was no chance. Oh you were yeah, at get that it. point, at that point, it was like, well, I tried. <laughs> you know, I'll just nose to the grindstone. I'll just keep. I'll keep getting better, and then maybe I'll I'll beg him for another shot. Um, I was over the moon, and I couldn't believe it, and. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think even then I knew uh, how big of a deal it was. I think kind of like I said earlier about appreciating my own journey more. Um, I need to also appreciate just what I have now is is I know what a lot of people would like to have. And so I try to be I try to recognize that and genuinely be grateful because I love, love, love what I do. And I love the sport and I love the UFC and I love the fighters. And like, I'm so in love with what I do. It's just that I want to do more of it. <laughs> and I think you're, you know, and I think you see that um, when you work. And I think that's one of the, one of the things that, that I really appreciate about your work is um, you can tell just as a fan who loves what they do and and who's really I mean you know when you're when you're doing a contender series and you're next to someone whose life is literally changing and you're experiencing that with yes. them uh you have the the authentic reaction I think alongside them that uh their life is going to change and I think that's that's beautiful it is yes that show um that show is another like life-changing moment for me honestly um because I feel like it's the show that where I'm able to be a little bit more what I know I can be in terms of be a little bit more analytical, be a bigger part of the presentation of the show. And then, but really the whole, what I love the most is just like you say, the, the moments with those fighters where they're realizing their dreams and to be next to someone when that's happening, like the energy that's coming off of someone that is, has just realized a lifelong dream is crazy. Like, and and to be able to absorb some of that is is awesome. Is there a moment that stood out from the contender series when you're with someone that just got that contract that you know is gonna have a life changing uh, opportunity come their way? Oh man, there's a lot. Um, Maybe like Sean, a like a but like behind the state back scene that we don't even see on camera, yeah. where perhaps you have a, an interaction with them that you know isn't caught. Honestly, you know, some of the cooler reactions maybe after the fact that people wouldn't know about is um, I try, I like I, said, I get attached to pretty much everybody that comes on that show because I spent so much time researching them. And like, I'm just a very emotional, empathetic person anyway. And I, I get really wrapped up in people. I love people. And so when people come on and they don't win, um, it's tough. And like, I've... I, I know what it's like to toil in this sport and it, and how hard it is to feel like you came that close and you didn't succeed. Right. So a lot of times um, I message the guys that don't get contracts or don't win and just try to encourage them because there's nothing worse than like having this fight week where the cameras are on you and they're interviewing you and they're hyping you up and they're like, yeah, you've got, you know, 
10 wins and only one loss and like you're the a d1 wrestler and da, da, da. and then the, the fight happens and you lose and it's like bye yeah. you know it's not that the ufc does that it's just the machine right it's the machine of fighting um and so i try to take a make a point to reach out and just let them know that it's not the end and there have been many instances where guys have come on that show and either not won or not won a contract and gone on to fight in the ufc you know you have to stay ready anybody who's been on that show is on a short list for people to fill in so like you just can't you can't give up and for you i guess personally in, in your work how do you uh continue to get better um i mean i know that that's something that you're i, I imagine you spend a lot of time on and just how can i get better how can i in my preparations mm -hmm. whatnot um thinking where you were in 2016 to where you are now what do you think has been the biggest uh change and improvements and what are the still the improvements that you look to to make as a in in, in all the work that you are doing and are going to continue to do well i can always improve there are a lot of things i think particularly because i didn't go to school for this that i there are times where i'm sure i lack a little bit of broadcast nuance or polish um i just i try to take a hold of every opportunity that i can that's the biggest thing um i i try to it sounds silly, but even coming on podcasts like this, anytime where you're presenting yourself and you are trying to articulate an idea and do it well and do it passionately and do it effectively is in a sense, a rep, you know, we, we say like, you just have to have more reps. Uh, the perfect rep for me obviously is to do what I ultimately want to do. So I make working for Invicta a really high priority because I do color commentary for Invicta and the more opportunities that I can have to work in that organization, the more practice I can get. It's the closest I can get to um, doing what I ultimately want to do. But I would say just cram as many opportunities as you in as, as you can. So like last year, there was a week where I did um, four shows in eight days. Oh my God. <laughs> it was awful, but I'm glad I did it because it teaches you how to, Sometimes I can like over prepare because I don't know if it's my love of academia and studying and researching or whatever, but like I can, I could get too much in the weeds on a particular fighter or topic or whatever. And sometimes when I have to cram, like when I did, I did a Invecta show a few months back on four hours notice, like they called me the morning of the fights. And so like, and that does not include the time to do my makeup and hair <laughs> like, uh wow. and not only that but there's certain elements the producer needs beforehand so he's like i need your three keys to victory for the the main event like i need this and this and this so i'm like i didn't even know who the main event was to be i mean i, I knew but like I, I had not given it much thought at all because i wasn't working that show um so that experience i considered not doing it because i thought okay if I do this and I'm terrible, uh, I know that my bosses at the UFC watch Invicta. It's on Fight Pass. Um, when fighters from Invicta graduate to the UFC, they go back and they watch those fights and they hear me speaking. I could really, I could really fuck this up, right? Um, especially with no preparation. I don't know much about these girls' games at this point. Um, I knew some of them, but not all of them. Or I can say, you know what? Most of color commentary is calling what you see and being uh, quick on the draw with what is happening right in front of you. And the rest, like, cause we've got Julie Kedzie and TJ DeSantis as well. Like Julie can carry the storylines and TJ is amazing at that as well. Like they're going to know the background cause I missed out on all the background interviews. Um, so I thought, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> and, how and it worked great. It was really good. It was really good. At what point did you realize that commentary was the route you wanted to, to ultimately go? Um, I'm, I'm a naturally competitive person and I think it's not just about the fact that commentary or commentators are considered the top, you know, broadcasters in this world. Uh, it's, it's more like, while I love, I love the reporter role, uh, for ESPN, I love it more for contender series because, it's right after the fights. It's more of a Joe Rogan interview. Like they're still sweaty. They're still antsy. They're still out of breath. And like, they're in the moment. I love what I do for ESPN, but it's much, it's a much different interview when you're sitting in chairs and like, I only have precisely two and a half minutes to speak to them. 
Um, and a lot of times you end up discussing the same information that you would for another fighter, right? Like, or, or the pre-interviews, what was your game plan? You know, <laughs> like, I want to, I want to talk about the X's and O's. I want to talk about what happened in the fight, not just how you felt <laughs> or like how, how was your fight week? You know, I, I want to talk about the X's and the O's, like the nitty gritty, the detail of why, why you throw your hook kind of slappy versus like turning your elbow over, you know, why do you, why was it so important to funnel the guy against the cage and maintain range? And like the really, really nitty gritty stuff that I find fascinating as a nerdy fan, I guess, is what I would like to express and what I, what gets me excited to talk about. Like when I'm watching fights with other fighters, that's my favorite thing in the world. Like if I'm watching a fight with James Krause or like any, anybody else from my gym, I want to talk about the specifics of what's happening. Like, why the fuck is he doing that with his foot? Like, why, why is his stance like that? Like, oh my God, this guy, that's gotta be so difficult to deal with. Like the way that he's moving and the way that he's switching stances. Oh my God, that has to be so frustrating for this other fighter. That's the stuff that I really, it gets me pumped up to talk about as much as I do love the storytelling of what was your mindset like and all of that? Like, I want to, I want to be in the fight, you know? Other than commentary, I mean, you talked about uh, having other goals and um, you're yeah. still, I mean, so, so young period and so young in your broadcasting career. Oh, bless Re you. <laughs> that, that, you know, I mean, really, I think I, it's pretty uh, unanimous around the board. I think the sky's the limit for you. For you, where do you hope to see your career say, I mean, it's crazy. You've only been there for four years, but say in five or 10 years down the line. I would like my goal. And I actually wrote this out this year. My goal is not necessarily um, monetary, although I hope that that would follow. I want to be a well-known, well-respected voice in MMA. And what that looks like, I think, can take a variety of shapes, right? I mean, we've seen other people with my job, Ariel Hawani had my job at one point and he's gone on to be like the voice in MMA media. And not only that, like, so he's able to express his knowledge of the sport through the interviews he does, but he also has a hilarious show with DC where they talk about serious topics, but they also, I freaking love, I mean, those two. DC are so has the most that. contagious laugh, I think in the world. He really does. He really does. And when he constantly is like covering up with a napkin or something, <laughs> or, like, I love that guy. I love that guy, but to be, um, I just keep, I keep envisioning myself at that desk with a headset on. That's what I see. And when, I mean, I don't know you, you know, I, I'm always curious to, to ask my guests, um, hopefully so many more years of, uh, long, healthy life, but do you ever think about legacy? Um, perhaps the, the Laura Senko legacy, if you will. Yeah. Um, I do. You know, and it's, it's, it's funny. Cause like talking about all this stuff is, is in some way uncomfortable for me because there's like part of my brain that I'm a big believer in, you know, the law of attraction and, and things like that. So there's part of my brain that's very comfortable saying out loud what I want because I say it out loud um, on a regular basis, just as an exercise. But there's the other part of my brain that knows that people will watch this or hear this and either laugh at it or uh, uh, not so much laugh at it, but like, I don't know, not see it the way that I see it and uh, think that I'm delusional <laughs> for having, for having that, uh, for having that desire. And so it's like, it's hard. It's very, um, it feels very revealing to like put myself out there like this, but I'm, I'm appreciating you making me do it. <laughs> it's, it's good for me to do. Um, so the legacy, yeah. I mean, if I'm just being honest, I would like my legacy to be that I was the first woman in the UFC to become a well-known, well-respected voice, whether that's as a color commentator, as a desk analyst, in some other way, shape or form, I see it as a color commentator, but I could see it taking other other forms as well. And it's not to say that other couldn't other women couldn't do what I'm trying to do. It's not that. It's not like I think I'm the best or the only one. I just I I, I would like that to be my legacy because 
I want there to be other people who other women who do it after me and who maybe even do it better or bigger or whatever. But like, I, I want to wedge my way in there as far as I possibly can so that the girls who are coming up in MMA, who are growing up in it in a way that I never did, can then fill those shoes later. Let me tell you something. You are absolutely not delusional in, in thinking that or that thinking that people would would say that. And uh, I'm really not even trying to say that's a flattery. I think the truth is, is that uh, even in digging into your story in the past um, couple of days in, in preparations for this, there is a lot that uh, really struck me. And I think that knowing all those things that you went through and now to see your rise. And I've been a, a UFC fan for um, really hardcore, I'd say about five years. Um, to see your growth, I think, is beautiful. And I think that you're not just inspiring young women out there, but men as well um, who are pursuing careers in the in the sports broadcasting field. And um, I have no doubts that you will uh, achieve, you know, not just whether it be commentary or whatever it, you may choose. Um, I truly believe that the sky's the limit. And uh, I just want to thank you for uh, for taking the time again today. I, people can follow you on Twitter, Instagram, Laura underscore Sanko. But uh, Laura... Uh, I'm excited to see all the all the all the future that that that, in, that, that that's in store for you and uh, you know in person events and hopefully uh, next trip to the Barclay Center or the Garden. Um, hopefully we get you in studio. But uh, absolutely, truly a pleasure, honor, and uh, I'm just excited for you. Thank you, Felix. I really I appreciate that. And I I as as someone who is usually on the other side of the interviewer, I appreciate uh, the thought and care that you took in, in this conversation. So it really, it meant a lot and it was awesome. Thank Th you. Thanks so much.